Is it on now? Look at that. Good morning, church. Wow, what a fine bunch of people you are. Look at you, all smiling. You might not be like that when we finish the message. <laughs> no, seriously. It's great to see you all here this morning. As Robert said, if you're visiting here with us, a very, very uh, warm welcome to you. Now, I've got a couple of announcements myself to make um, before we, we get into the Word. Are you ready for the Word? Yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, if you're part of the church, you will know that for the last few uh, short months, uh, we have been advertising for a uh, children and families pastor, a person, it's a paid position. Um, we're starting at 20 hours a week, and we'll review that in six months' time if we get the right person and things go in the direction that we believe it will go in. We'll review that in six months' time and extend those hours, and we're willing to do all of that. Um, but we've been working through this for some time. And the good news is that we have a candidate. How about that? And we've accepted um, that person, and we believe it's absolutely the right person for the role. One of the neat things about church life is you can recruit from within sometimes, and other times you kind of have to go out there because the resources are not there. In this case, the resources come from within. So Tara Morris, could you please stand up? And we've got so much to celebrate about this, Tara. I'm not going to interview you or do any of that now. You start on the 10th of January. And by the way, it's a pastoral position, so it's Pastor Tara Morris from the 10th of January. So fantastic. It is just, uh, we've been, uh, Leanna, uh, Leanna was, was leading the charge on this. Um, and Caleb and myself, we were part of the team, and we've had such a wonderful time with this young lady, talking through all of the, um, our expectations, and then she had her own expectations, and there's a whole lot of things that had to happen with, between her secular work and making that part-time, and God just opened up all these doors, and it was like all the ducks just got lined up in a row. Isn't that right, Tara? Absolutely. So we're really looking forward uh, to that, and I'm looking forward to working with you, Tara, um, next year. Just a um, quick note also to the preaching team. We've got a meeting. You've got a meeting with me around about 12.30. It's going to be in the Redwood, uh, the Redwood Lounge um, uh, after the, well, around about 12.15, 12.30, something like that. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me, please, to uh, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 6. Now, last week, if you're visiting here with us, we began a three-part series, um, uh, and the message was, or the title of the message was, from chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, Can We Lose the Manifest Presence of God? The manifest presence. Not, not His positional presence or the intellectual knowledge. We know that God is here, don't we? Because He's everywhere. We know that, but we're talking about his manifest presence. There are times when God will come in such a tangible way that there is no denying that something is going on. Would you agree? That happens, and it doesn't necessarily happen all the time, and it doesn't mean to say that God has disappeared on us, but stuff can happen in life. You, you would all know this by degrees, I'm sure. Things happen for us, and sometimes, and how many of you can identify with this, God seems like he's miles away. Yeah? Well, that's happened for me. 
And it'll probably happen again. But it doesn't mean to say that God has moved. Perhaps there's some stuff in me that needs to be sorted out. And that can kind of create that distance. And we heard about that last week. Can we lose the manifest presence of God? And what was the resounding answer to that church? Yes, we can. And I made the point that we... We can lose God not in the sense that God disappears and he can't be found. He is still there, but the connection can be severed. Relationship and fellowship and communion can be affected in that way. And it's not because of anything that God has done, because God is omnipotent, omnipresent, and and omniscient. He's in all places at all times. So it's nothing that God has done. It's usually something that we have done. And we saw that last week in 1 Samuel chapter 4. That happened to the nation of Israel. The nation um, went ahead without consulting God at a particular point in time, and they needed to make a crucial decision. And they went ahead and they made that decision on their own without any consultation with God at all. And we heard four things last week. One of the things, they, the, the mistakes, was that they substituted God's word for human wisdom. Now, there's nothing wrong with your human wisdom. There's nothing wrong with your intellect. God gave us a brain and He asks us to use it. Hello. However, when we go ahead and make crucial decisions without consulting God, church, we're on our own. And you know what? I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not anointed enough to make those kinds of decisions just based on my human wisdom. How many of you can identify with that? So I need God in the midst of all of that. It's not that I put my brain in neutral. Not at all. But it's the combination of working with what I know and working with him and listening to the leading of his Holy Spirit and being sensitive to what God is saying and then marrying the two together and providing, and this is key, church, providing what I choose to do lines up with his word, then that's what I'm going to do. No matter the circumstances, Don, no matter what, that's what I'm going to do because God said it. So there was that there, and they didn't do that. They tried the second thing, they tried to manipulate God for their own purposes. Boy, are we good at doing that. The third thing, they began to focus on religious objects rather than God himself. And I've got no problem with crosses, I've got no problem with um, um, symbols in that regard. I mean, communion is, is 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 a symbol. That's a symbol. I've got no problem with any of those things. But when we allow those things to replace him, there's a problem. Yeah? And then the fourth thing, the big fourth mistake they made. Incredibly, they then expected God's blessing without repentance. It's not going to work. And the collective result of those decisions was that the Ark of the Covenant, which I said last week and explained from Scripture and hopefully proved that to you from Scripture, the Ark of the Covenant in those days represented God's manifest presence amongst the nation of Israel. And if you don't believe me, go online and listen to last week's message. Well, 
As a result of all of that, the Ark of the Covenant was lost to the enemy, the Philistines, who took it away into one of their cities, into their camp. And that sorry saga essentially amounted to them losing God. I shared last week then that if we follow their example, the same thing can happen to us too. So fast forward now to chapter 6 of 1 Samuel. The Philistines realize that the ark must be returned back to Israel. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read chapter 6 because we'll be here till Jesus returns. We're not going to do that. I'll give you an overview of what unfolded. So here's the overview. And this is just backdrop to what I want to speak into this morning. And the title of this message is, What Should We Do When God Shows Up? So stay with me on this. The Philistines have had the ark in their possession now for seven months. Chapter 5 tells us that during that time, they suffered all sorts of catastrophes. Um, the first thing is, um, they put the ark in their temple at, next to their god, Dagon. And uh, so they stuck the ark there, and here's Dagon sitting up there on his pedestal. They came back in the morning, and Dagon is flat on his face, prostrate before the ark of the covenant. No one had touched him. That's what had happened. So they thought, oh, well, we'll pop him back up again. It might, might, might have been just an earthquake or something. So they pop him back up on his pedestal. The next morning they come in, and Dagon, their god, is now face down before the ark again, this time his hands and his, his head and his hands had broken off. So that wasn't working for them. And he's prostrate before the ark. So they sent the ark to another city, this time to, Ga to Gath. But many of the Philistines, when the ark arrived there, many of their people in the next few days broke out in, uh, in tumors and sores and boils. They thought, well, that's not working. So they Send them off to, to another city, got rid of them quickly. So the ark is now in, in, in Ekron. When, he gets to, when the ark gets to Ekron, so not only was the, uh, the, the, the god Dagon flat on his face, not only are people had broken out in boils in the previous city, these people start dying for no reason whatsoever. They're lying all over the place dead. Well, Third time around the mountain, that convinced the Philistines that the ark was the source of all of their calamity. So what to do next? Well, they decided that they would get rid of the ark. They would send it back to where it came from. But how best to do it? So let's just recap last Sunday. Recapping, that's all we're doing at the moment. Do you remember when the nation of Israel went into battle against the Philistines, having not consulted God first? How many soldiers died in that first battle? 4,000 of them. 4,000 of them died. As a result of that, they thought, we've made a mistake here. So they go get the ark, and they think to themselves, this will be like a good luck charm. So they'll bring the ark to face the next battle, which will surely come. So they bring the ark into the battle, having not consulted God whatsoever. Nothing. Having gone through Eli the Samuel and Eli the, the priest. Hadn't gone through any of those, those, which is what they should have done. Remember, this is Old Testament. Those two, the, 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 um, the prophet and the priest, were the connection between the people and God. It's not like today, because he lives in us, doesn't he? Hello? So we're talking Old Testament now. 
So they hadn't consulted um, there at all. So they go into battle again. Second battle. How many of their soldiers die this time? 30,000. Now, there are 34,000 of their sons and their husbands and their young men and and their soldiers, their key soldiers, lying in the sand, dead. Do you think maybe God's got their attention now? You think maybe? Remember, Israel is God's chosen people. This is the same God who parted the Red Sea. And they walked through on dry ground. The enemy was chasing them, was going to take them out. The Red Sea part. Could you imagine that? Has anyone ever been to the Sinai Peninsula? Anyone? Okay, if you had, you would know. I haven't been there either, by the way. I've got no intention of going. You've been there. Yeah, Miriam, you've been there. Could you imagine standing? I mean, I've seen it on YouTube. Could you imagine standing on the sand, the enemy are behind you, set on killing, they're going to wipe you out. In their case, Moses stands there, holds his staff out. The sea parts, literally parts. And not only did the sea part, it says that they went through on dry land. They didn't even get stuck in the mud or the sand at the bottom of the ocean. Isn't that incredible? I mean, this is what God does. When God does something, he does a very, very good job. Always when God does it. So anyway, they walk through this, the same God that parts the Red Sea. The same God that when they got on the other side and the enemy's racing through this tunnel of water and it crashes on them and it wipes them all out in one foul swoop. That God, well, they didn't even bother to ask him about this battle. Isn't that amazing? What shifted for them? I mean, I kind of asked myself this question, what was going on? And we're not told. So let's move on. What I do know is that when they should have consulted God, they didn't. In spite of having, having seen him work miraculously parting the Red Sea, that was just one miracle. Here's the point here. These, this is the nation that God chose. These are his chosen people. These are believers. These are Christians. From that perspective, contrast that with the Philistines who don't even believe in Israel's God. Watch this. Not only do they, the Philistines, ask the right question, what should we do with the ark? But they also had the good judgment to consult their religious leaders. Never mind whether we agree with their religion religion or not. That's irrelevant. At least they had the good judgment to consult with with their leaders, their religious leaders. And their religious leaders gave them some sound advice. Take the ark back to Israel. Give it back to them. Now let's just take a moment to ponder this. Let's ponder the implications of what I've just said. The Philistines are not even Christians, not even believers. They're pagans, in fact. They're unbelievers. Yet God used them to get Israel's attention. Here's my point. 
Are you aware that God will sometimes use an unbeliever to speak into your life? Whoa. It's like there's a kind of hush just gone all over the auditorium. Are you aware that sometimes God will even use an unbeliever to speak into your life? Have you ever been in that situation when someone who doesn't follow the Lord like you do has said something to you about whatever you've done and you felt convicted? Am I the only one? Yeah. You know, church, if God can use a donkey to get Balaam's attention, he can certainly use an unbeliever to get yours. So we need to be aware. This is just an aside to the story, by the way. I just thought that was important to speak that out. Sometimes God will use an unbeliever to get our attention. Anyway, as the account goes, the Philistines, after consulting with their own priests, decided to hitch up a couple of cows to a wooden cart and send it back, which was the right thing to do. Send the ark back, that is, by the way. So seven months after losing God, the ark is now on its way back um, uh, home and turns up at the Israelite town, border town called Beth Shemesh. It's, and it's here that we see two very different responses, two different decisions made by two different groups of people to the miraculous return of the ark. And this is the message. There are essentially two different groups of people in the same body of believers. So, for the purposes of this message, I'm going to reverse the order of events. There's a reason for that. So the title, what should we do when God shows up in that way? So the first group, let's see what the first group did. The first group will call them the casual group. Everyone say casual. The casual group. The ark arrives at Beth Shemesh. And the people rejoiced. So far, so good. They're doing the right thing. They see the ark coming. They're actually, uh, 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 it, was a far, it was a farmland area. And they saw it coming down the path towards where they were sifting wheat or doing something. And they see it coming and they start to rejoice. So, so far, so good. But listen to what happens next. Verse 19. It'll come up on the screen. Verse 19 but God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Now, if you go back to Numbers 4, God had given clear instructions to the nation. This is before this happened. Clear instructions that they were um, never to touch the ark. That's why they had the priest carry it with a pole between these rings on the side of it, and the, and the poles rested on the shoulders of the priest. They never physically touched the ark. But the other thing that God, there was a prohibition, they were never to look into the ark. Now, all of that, that, that prohibition was given before all of this happened. So the point is, they would have known that. The whole nation would have known, not to look in the ark. But even so, they still did it. Madness, isn't it? Oh, let's see what happened. 
Here's my question. Why would they? Why would they knowingly and consciously do something completely opposite to what God had told them not to do? Why would they do that? Why would they behave in such a flippant, casual way? Doesn't make any sense to me. And by the way, we're not told specifically why they did do that, why they violated that prohibition. But we are told what happened when they did. As I was reading this account, I asked myself, you know, is human nature any different today? <laughs> For example, why would someone knowingly and willingly experiment with drugs Knowing full well the potential consequences, knowing that that decision could well lead to addiction, a drug dependency, and, men and mental and emotional, relational and economic chaos. Why would someone actually choose to do that, knowing all of that beforehand? Here's another one. Why do some people still drink and then drive? Despite all the warnings, why do they think that somehow they will be exempt? Somehow they won't make a mistake. Somehow they won't cause any harm. Well, I've got some news for all of us on that issue. You might get away with it for a few times, but at some point you will get found out. It's simply just a matter of time. So why do some people ignore the warnings? Well, we're not told why this particular casual group ignored the prohibition, why they risked everything by looking into the ark, but we do know that that decision cost 70 of them their lives. We do know that. Let's pause here. 70 of God's chosen people Lost in a heartbeat. These are God's people. These weren't, these weren't Philistines. In that sense, these were Christians. These are believers. Seventy of them lost just like that. When my Bible says, but God is a God of love, isn't he? He's a God of compassion, God of grace. In fact, his grace is greater than his law. Isn't that the God we serve, church? Hello? Isn't that the God we serve? I mean, if, if God could accept someone like me, believe me, that is grace. Leanna. If you knew my history, you'd be thinking, I wouldn't choose him. Now I'm pastoring churches. Go figure. But he did. He did choose. And here we are. So he's an incredible God of grace, and his grace is greater than his law. But you know what, church? God also needs to be taken seriously, not casually. The people of Beth Shemesh 
treated the ark very casually. It's an example when sometimes God will use the megaphone of judgment to get our attention. Sometimes God will do that. And boy, have I experienced that in my walk with God over the years. I've experienced that in my marriage when my wife has said to me, Paul, da-da-da-da-da, let's not go there. I've experienced that at all of those levels, and I'm sure that you have too. Sometimes God will use the megaphone of judgment to get our attention. And that's what was going on here. These folk, they knew the word of God, but they did not do the word of God. And tragically, 70 of them paid the ultimate price. That's the backdrop. That was the first group. But it does, however, get better. So you can relax now. Everyone smile. There's some good news coming up. The second group. They're the opposite of casual. We'll call them the committed group. A bit like this church. Verses 13 and 15. The question is, in this message this morning, and this, the reason why we're going through this mini-series about the presence of God is simply this church. I don't know about you, but my Bible tells me that when the presence of God comes, I'm talking about His manifest presence now, Heather, things change. Isn't that true? And you would know that, the wonderful journey that you're on. Things just change. We can do certain things in our human intellect, our, our human wisdom, our human experience. There's nothing wrong with any of that. We need to use those things. God shapes us and he molds us, doesn't he, Miriam? He knocks, the, hopefully, the rough edges off and we become easier to deal with and better to relate to. All of that stuff happens. So we learn from those experiences. Hopefully we do. And we become better people as a result of that. But here's something to be absolutely aware of church there are certain things that we can do as humans but we are not God God is a miracle working God in heaven miracles are normal that's simply normal you know what I believe church I believe that we need to call heaven down to earth so that becomes normal for us and history has shown over the years, history has shown us that there are times when God will move sovereignly and usually it's in a geographical location. Pensacola, for example, it's happening in Wales right now, I can't pronounce the name of the place, Felda Brennan or something like that, but yeah, that's right. Um, it's happened around the world through the ages where God has come in particular ways where revival has broken out because the presence of God, it's not just in their head, it's manifest amongst them and God started doing stuff miracles what we would call miracles in heaven they just call it normal but in, on earth here we call them miracles well that's fine by me if God's going to do a miracle I'm saying bring it on if God's going to manifest himself in that way shouldn't we be open and say here I am use me Lord choose me Lord yeah Robin So here's my point. I've been a follower of Jesus for a few years now. Since 28 years of age. And I'm expecting more from God today than I ever did before. I absolutely am. I want to see him come 
in ways that we've never experienced before. I want to see his manifest presence come and do things that you and I cannot do. There are certain things that I can do. I can encourage you and build you up. I can lay hands on you and pray for you. Um, I, I can befriend you. Um, I support you. And all of, I can do all of those things and we're told to do that. As Miriam was saying this morning, to build the body of Christ up. But what I cannot do is heal you. What I cannot do is fill you with his Holy Spirit. What I cannot do, what is normal in heaven, miraculous, I cannot do that here. But I can be used for him to do that to you. And I'm saying to you, church, this morning, we need to be open to God using us. Let's not treat God in a casual way and just come to church on a Sunday and we enjoy the wonderful worship that we have this morning and, and the team doing their things with Trenton, wherever he is, and encouraging us to do this, Steve and all the whole team doing their stuff. We come and, we get, and that's, a, that's a level of, of involvement. But man, oh man, I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be. And there is. And we see that in this second group, this committed group. We see that, 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 that they saw what happened with the, 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 the group there with a casual attitude. And they said to themselves, I'm not going to be like that. I want to be like this. And they were absolutely sold out. The ark returned. The people rejoiced to see it. You know, they did the right thing, this group. You know what they did? Immediately, they rejoiced. They made a sacrifice. In those days, um, um, a blood sacrifice was part of the culture. We don't do that today because Jesus is the final sacrifice, the one and only. He's the substitute sacrifice. But in their day, you've got to put it into its context. In their day, that was the right thing to do. So the, the cart comes down the, the hill towards them. Um, there was an oxen or two oxen pulling this, one I think pulling this thing. The cart was, wooden cart was brand new. So this, this cracks me up. The heathen Philistines even provided them a sacrifice. And they provided the wood to burn on the altar. They didn't even know what they were doing it. Isn't that incredible? This is what God does. This is just the way God works. So now, now, now they've, got the, they've got the ark back. They've got a, a bull or to sacrifice, and they've got the cart which they can burn um, to, to, to um, make the, the sacrifice. So they're doing all of that kind of stuff. They do the right thing. You know that what that all comes down to? They had a worship service. They began to worship. That's what they were doing. They were so grateful. They were so thankful that the ark, what for them um, was this, this, this connection with God, it was so important to them, had been brought back. And they began to celebrate. They rejoiced. Essentially, they worshipped. You know, church, on that issue, nothing has changed today. We come to worship him. Um, you talked into that, Miriam, this morning when you brought that word. We come to worship him. God lifts us up and he builds us up and he fills us afresh and he empowers and he inspires. 
And that's what was going on here. This whole thing of worship, you know, I think we have a very, very narrow, excuse me, I think we have a narrow understanding of what worship really is. Very briefly, let me explain what I believe it is. It's more than just singing. It's more than laying prostrate on the ground or raising my hands. It includes all of those things, but it's more than that. It's to revere Him. Worship is about honoring God, actually paying homage to Him. One writer said about worship, he said, worship is a decision that we make in our head, but it manifests as a response from our heart. True, genuine worship is not a head response respectfully. It's a heart response. It doesn't mean that you put your brain in neutral it doesn't mean that. But if you are going to, if the Spirit of God begins to do something with you even right now, and, and, and He's talking to you about whatever He's talking to you about, or your heart starts beating because He's given you a word that we probably need to hear as a congregation, if that's you, put your hand up. Um, or He may be, may be convicting you of something. If all of that is going on, the minute you try to rationalize that, in other words, the minute you stop and you switch off the creative side of who you are and you start, right, oh, that, surely that's, no, that's not for me. It must be the person sitting next to me. God's talking to them. It must be for them. Or God gives you, gives you a word to speak out. And you say, no, no, that's just my natural thinking. And then, and then about two rows down, when the, when, when the music's playing, someone stands up and speaks the exact word that God had given you. And you think, oh, God, why didn't I? How many of you experienced that? Man, I have. Well, I'm saying to you this morning, if you sense the presence of God in that way, perhaps it is God that's talking to you. Perhaps it is. Now, the only way you're going to find out is if you step out of the jolly boat. Give it a shot. Give it a shot, church. See, this is the point I'm wanting you to hear. After giving my life to Christ at age 28, I'm now um, 66. Two sixes, not three. Um, and I've kind of come to this conclusion Today, I choose to trust God more than I did yesterday. I just choose to do it. Brenda, I just choose to do it. And if I fall flat on my face, I know that you love me. I know that you'll pick me up, pat me on the back, and say, carry on. Isn't that right, Leanna? And I'll do that for you. But just imagine, just imagine if that was the word of knowledge for someone's healing and that person gets healed. Just imagine. Just imagine if it was a, an encouragement to somebody and it was the answer they were looking for to their, for their dilemma and it just all the ducks just lined up in a row because you stepped out and gave that word and their life changed and their future changed just because you stepped out. That's what I'm talking about. 
Let's not be a church that sits, only sits in the seat and receives. Let's be a church that both receives and gives out. Let's be that kind of church. And it's the body of Christ. You've heard me say this from day one. I do not believe for one second that God is going to move through any particular person. He will do it through the body of Christ. Because Ephesians tells me it's the body of Christ edifying itself in love as every part does its part. That's the body of Christ. And that's a really good thing because it stops people like you and I becoming arrogant thinking that we've got it all together when we haven't. Yeah, church? Is this landing? Is this landing, church? I hope so. Let's not be the casual group. Let's be like the committed group. Worship in the first instance is not an intellectual issue. Worship is a heart issue. It always is. When we come to worship, however you express that, it's an opportunity then to align our heart with God's heart. You know, if we need to thank Him, worship is a great way to do so. If you need to thank Him. If you need to unburden your soul, worship is a great time to do that. If you need to confess some sin, worship is a great time to express your remorse for that. If you just want to honor Him, worship is the way to express that. It's about honoring, revering, and putting Him in that central place. However you do that, it's not, we, we have song, music is a good thing. Music kind of opens up a channel for us to really express um, in song and in word. There's something about music that does that. Psalms talks about he, that, that, that the Spirit of God um, uh, is enthroned in the praises of His people. So that, that, that kind of implies to me worship. So God, there's something about that, that that just opens up a channel between us and Him. But that's not the only way. Some of you are contemplative, Simon contemplative and there are other things that uh, um, um, uh, pictures drawing pictures art that kind of thing dance where is where's Robin and um, Matthew dance that's an expression of worship that works for them believe me you didn't don't want me dancing up here worshiping God you don't want that I've got two less feet but my wife's a great dancer and how she married me I'll never know anyway well she probably fell in love so there you go um, and that's a miracle. However you do it, there's something about worship that connects us with Him and the Spirit begins to flow. Now, song is one way. We do that because it opens up a great opportunity for most of us, but it's not the only way. Worship means a number of things. It's about being real. It's about being honest. It's about being open. Open with ourselves and with God. It's about being authentic and sincere. Nothing gets God's attention quite like worship. Leanna, can you bring the team up, please? One final point I want to make um, about the, um, these two groups.
true worship. will always produce a change in the heart of the worshipper. It always does. Causes us to love him more, to love his word, and to obey what it is he's asking us. Worship does that. In fact, John uh, 14, 15 says, if you love, oh, it's up there. If you love me, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. So here's the question. What should we do then when God shows up? Last week we talked about what do we do? Can we lose the presence, manifest presence of God? And we, you all agreed, yes, we can. And I explained why. Well, now I'm asking you this. What are you going to do or what should you do when God shows up in that demonstrative way when God shows up in the way you just sense his presence around you speaking to you now what should we do when that happens one word respond We should respond. And I I don't know how this works for you, and I really don't much care. That's between you and him. But I know how it works for me. Um, when I come into that zone and I'm just open hands, open heart, open mind, um, it's kind of like I don't see you respectfully. It's kind of like I lose time. You come into a space where, some of you can relate to this, I'm sure. You come into a space where it's just you and him. And when that happens, that's where I feel him the most that's where I experience the change and the response and the answers to the, the things that are important to me, that's where all of that happens, that's where that transaction takes, that's me, that's not you some of you can relate to that I'm sure however it works for you if you don't respond, if you don't run with what's going on inside here here's what will happen for you, nothing will change. Nothing will change. And that's your choice. God's not going to hold a gun to your head and say, you, you, you must do this, you, you must do this. It's freedom of choice. It's free will. The one thing God will never, ever do is override our free will. He will never do that because he wants your heart, not your head. Please stand. What are we going to sing? Sorry? Whatever you think's right will be right. Um, so speaking about music, but Leanna's going to lead us in, in, in a song. Now, if you've been here over the last few months, you'll know that 
um, uh, we create space for people to come down and be prayed for. We expect God to meet you right where you're at, whatever, whatever that happens to be. Whatever emotional state you happen to be in, physical, mental, whatever. We expect God to come and do what only God can do. But you don't necessarily have to come down the front, Zoli, for that to happen. But get someone around you to pray for you. Do that. Please do that. Get someone to come and, 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 and ask God to, through them to, t- to speak into your life. Just open yourself up to what only God can do. So you, that can happen right where you are. Or you can come down the front. It's convenient to come down the front because we've got a number of people here that experience with praying and we will do that for you. However you do it, I really don't mind. I just say to you this morning, respond. Just respond. This I can guarantee you. When you do, you will leave here differently than when you came in. That is for sure. Let me just pray, please, Leanna. Let me just pray first. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here, Lord. We welcome you, Father. We welcome you with open arms, open hearts, open minds. We say, come, Holy Spirit, and do in us what only you can do. We ask you, Lord, speak, Lord, where you need to speak. Where open, open our ears where we need to hear. Soften the hearts that are hardened. Come by your Spirit, God, and do what you promised in your word, Lord, is because we acknowledge that we need you. Above all things, we need you. Amen. So just respond in any way that you want, and um, after that, be sensitive to what the Spirit of God is doing. If you need to leave the auditorium, that's fine. Um, Robert, is there anything you've got? Yeah. If you need to leave the auditorium, just be sensitive to what God is doing, and we'll see you out in the cafe um, afterwards. Thanks, Leanna.